The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. have always had since the day we settled here a gentle understanding with the creatures who live beyond our borders we do not stray into their woods they do not come into our village i have always pictured them in some ways as our protectors they have allowed us to live here nestled amongst them in this untouched place. By the markings we find this morning on our homes, I feel they were warning us. We may question ourselves at moments such as these. Did we make the right decision to settle here? I fear our days of peace are over. guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema podcast i am your host jimbo and i'm your most excellent co-host kyle really most excellent co-host? most excellent bro i would be i would have said the uh, co-host who shall not be named <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's another one that's right 
Mikawa were both wearing the color red <laughs> for victory or something. I don't know why we're wearing the, red. the monsters. Are oh, coming. it's right. The monsters. Are, yeah, the, right. They were the red and the. Right. I, I know the thing you're talking about. Well, yeah. it's about time. Well, because today we'll be talking about the movie The Village from 2004. Mm-hmm. The M Night Ding Dong. Director, I, I'm just going to call him M Knight for the rest of this thing because I don't want to mess his name up the entire time. Yeah. So, Kyle, before we get started, we want to remind everybody that shortly we will be having our live show. That's right, October 28th. Yes, up at the Boone County Distillery uh, with Jackie and company. Uh, tickets are free. Uh, it's going to start about five o'clock to eight. We will be passing out candy on the town square there with a bunch of the. Um, People, the townsfolk have a uh, some sort of festival. I can't a remember festival what you call event, it. a Halloween festival event, right. or something like that. Um, yeah. And then after that, between like eight eight thirty or eight forty five, we're going to be giving away some door prizes. Um, we're going to be doing a little live podcast. Yeah, we'll be in costume. I'll uh, be Uncle Fester Jimbo. Yes, you know that I'll, means I'm going to shave my head bald and my eyebrows. Yes, I'm glad this is finally happening. I've been trying to get you to do this for months now. You just wanted to see me. You wanted to see me smooth. That's what he wanted to see me. Just <laughs> all smooth, no shaving. Smooth as a baby's yeah, bottom. Yeah, full, full shape. Smooth as a baby's bottom, but all right. And yes, I will be coming as a Doc Brown from Back to the Future and uh, ADZ, the co-host of the Twilight Zone series, is coming as Marty McFly. Marty so McFly. Yeah. Come. Uh, we will be having my uh, cardboard cutouts there where you can get your selfies taken. Um, I think they said they have some coffins up there that we're going to set up in the yeah. other room if people I'm going to bring pictures and buckets of candy. It's going to be yes. great. Oh, speaking of that, don't let me forget to get those buckets to you. Uh, we got some cool cups and everything, so it's going to be a fun time there mm-hmm. in the old uh, Lebanon, Indiana that night, October 20th. So hope everybody can come yeah. out and see us. Yeah, and if it's not already booked up on the Facebook group, please go there and reserve your spot because I'm if not already sold out by now, we'll we'll see that. And now. if not, and you still want to come, just let me know because uh, we do have uh, additional tickets we can get. Uh, we might just have to expand the room a little expand bit. Expand so. the room a little bit, so but also want, like we don't want Fire Marshal Bill to come <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> close yeah. us down. But also, it's an open business and a bar, so like you can go there and have a good time in your own way. It's a, it's a there's a whole festival to go to. That's right. not we're not a part of, but it's still a fun time to be around. So, right. Yeah. Um, so Kyle, we will be talking about the village. Um, mm-hmm. but before we get started, question, question, Ooh. Kyle, yeah, I could go two ways with this and I know what your one's going to answer is going to be. So I might not even go that way. Okay. Uh, because I know you'll say signs if I say your favorite M, M. night movie. Uh, so, okay. um, I which I would you. probably go either the sixth sense or this, I think are pretty good. So, mm-hmm. but Kyle, if you found yourself in the predicament of the people or the kids in this village, would you have been the kid that went out into the woods or would you have been so scared you would have just not, never even attempted to go out there? Or would curiosity have got got the best of you? Oh, boy. Uh, gosh. You know, I, I would say I think I could never really believe they could keep up the lie that well, um, in all honesty. Um, but, I, you know, if they convince me well enough, I could probably have the fear just like all of them and stay out of the woods entirely. You know, um, the, I think the real, like, tough question for me is like, you know, like, you know, it looked like Bryce Dallas Howard's character was okay with keeping up the lie for at least another generation or so, and I don't know if I could ever keep... Do you think you could keep that lie going if you knew the truth or found it out at a young age, in your mid-twenties? See, I don't... Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think she's going to tell... Well, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix's character, yeah, because yeah, the dad, the dad said, you know, they're gonna. This is this is a yeah. story that's gonna live on. But see, because here's what here's what you got to put two and two together. When we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but um, when she kills the one in the woods, yeah, to her, it was a monster because her her dad said, 
you know, when I was young, I wrote about these stories. There was rumors of these monsters in these yeah. woods, and by her, so it's still part of the lie going on there. Yeah, she. Doesn't but know. she doesn't know because we'll get to it in our, in our discussion. Yeah, we'll get but, to the more. Right. The, the, but the, I mean, I, I think I'd be just as scared as anybody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. Okay, Jimbo, but I'll go train to the movie so we can get to the the meat of the um, discussion that we so clearly want to get. We to. went to straight to the dessert. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. All right, the village. Um, M Night Shyamalan's The Village released in 2004, July 30th. Directed, of course, by M Night Shyamalan. Um, a a um, at this point, might be considered a little bit of an infamous director in his own right because he had many good films, but he also had just as many um, man. What stingers. was what was that one about the 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 lady in the pool, lady in the water, lady, lady in the, the water, the, yeah, uh, the, the happening uh, Avatar movie that Avatar, uh, no, the last Airbender because I couldn't have the Avatar that, that had good that had good uh, special well, effects. Still, there was a much was better terrible. television and you know right. anime television show that was a lot better than that. Um, but yeah, but on the on the other side though, he had many other great films like my personal favorite, which I, which you mentioned there for like was Signs with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. I think did a great job with those films. Um, the Sixth Sense probably his most iconic um, film he directed with Bruce Willis there that put him on the and, map. I think yeah yeah yeah. Um, and then also um, the secondly uh, with Bruce as well as again in Unbreakable, which later became a trilogy with uh, Glass and the other film. Split. Split, thank you. And uh, most recently he did Knock at the Cabin, which got like, a little bit of mixed reception. And there was also the movie Old, which he directed, which I got a little more. Old was really interesting. Overall positive reception, I think, um, kind of got. So, like, he, he's, uh, he's a bit of a director, though, because I, I feel like he's a little bit of a... Uh, his identity seems to be a little bit more self-absorbed. He seems to like really think he has this auteur thinking where like you know anyone doesn't like the movie just didn't understand it or didn't appreciate what I was doing um, versus him having any flaws in his film at all. In, you know, in my kind of opinion of his work, um, but we'll kind of keep moving forward there though. But this is the director and writer of the film, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, produce producers' roles: we have Sam Mercer, Scott Rudin, and M. Night Shyamalan again. This was composed by James Newton Howard. Cinematographer was Roger Dinkins. Roger Deakins, sorry. And editor was Christopher Telson. Casting director um, was Douglas Abel. And production designer was Tom Foden. Um, budget for the film was $60 million in 2004. And just for inflation, that'd be about $97.5 million today. Whew, inflation. It gets you. <laughs> Opening weekend, it grossed only $50.7 million. Just for inflation, that'd be about $82.5 million. So a little bit of box office at this moment there. Um, but um, gross week uh, for gross in the U.S. and Canada, it made $114 million. Just for inflation, would be about $185.6. So it made money in the um, long term of the theatrical run. And then worldwide, it more than made its money back with $256.7 million. Just more inflation, that'd be about $417.2 million. I'm sure it's made money today with, of course, DVD and Blu-ray sales and that kind of back-end kind of profiteering as well. So this film, um, you know, made a healthy sum, and it's kind of – I think it's going to be considered a success for him on a film role, even though I think this is the first – I think this is the first film that had, like, a lot of negative pushback when it first released, too. This is probably the turning point of his career where a lot of people were going, like, I don't care for this twist. Um, and I think this is a film that you – once you know the twist, I think you actually appreciate it better. Yeah, um, a second viewing would be most beneficial, I do believe. Yep. So we're going to go for the quick plot summary of the film right here. We have M. Night Shyamalan's The Village resolve, revolves around a desolate town in Pennsylvania. The residents of this town live by strict rules. They are not to leave the village or the monsters beyond their boundaries, uh, beyond their boundaries will surely attack them. Lucius and Ivy have an attraction, a strong one. But when Noah, a man with an intellectual disability and who has feelings for Ivy, finds out the two are in love, Noah attacks Lucius. He will die if the brave Ivy, who happens to be blind, does not breach the borders and, and find help to save Lucius. 
And the kind of the critical um, twist of this film, which I kind of want to get ahead of here, because otherwise we'll kind of like ruin the conversation we have later on, is that actually the um, the founders of the town are actually um, modern day social workers who decided to start their own internal community and actually have it blocked off entirely, um, including like blocking off even the airways so people wouldn't see planes in the sky or something like that too. Um, but it's actually a modern day world setting but they live um almost a kind of a, a pilgrim um uh, lifestyle. and they live in like a wildlife sanctuary a too. wildlife sanctuary too so no outside visitors come in and they created this whole elaborate um lore of their village that they're actually surrounded by monsters and they can no one can leave their village or they will surely and, die. and i think you know? by uh i think they were all counselors or at a counseling thing too from that picture they show yeah and i think um each one of them had been uh, succumb to some sort of, of violence in their families. Violent tragedy of right. some sort. And, of course, encountered it on their job, too, of social work. And basically that collective kind of a building of social workers, they all collectively kind of like lost their faith in the civilized world as it is today and then retreated to this wildlife sanctuary to start their own village. And uh, then, uh, you know, uh, they, they started a whole new generation in that town of them keeping them pure, you know, innocent from the world's evils in their mind um, by creating this uh, well, elaborate lore. Let me ask you a question, too. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning of the film, there is a, um, a funeral going on. Yeah. And did you happen to see what the tombstone said? I do not remember. It said 1897. Hmm. So did they purposely do that to make the kids think they're back in time like at that time setting without any of the modern inventions i think it made it easier for them to degree to um keep true to what they think the world should be capable of in their society um so yeah i think that i think that kind of worked for them to all kind of keep on the same um uh same role basically like that because they said like oh it's 2014 but we all live like this then it might confuse them and how they tell their own personal backstories well, um, but what I'm saying is, if all those kids, when they move there uh, as a family, and then they start having kids and all that, then they wouldn't even know what year it is. They wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't probably. So yeah. even so, but what I'm saying is, why did you just say it's modern day, like 2000? We'll say 2000. I think it's for all the founders to know what they're allowed to say in their own backstories, because if they pretend like it was still like 20, 2004, as it is, you know, taking place in modern time in the film that time, they might accidentally tell something that would only make sense in the 1960s, like if they reference cars or electricity or something like that, or well, they have electricity too, but also like... Um, any of the modern day elevations in their lifetimes that may mess up their storytelling, you know, and that could cause um, fractures in their um, their kind of their, their illusion, basically like that, where a kid can be skeptical and then figure out the truth. So I think they went 100 years back, so everyone knows knows what kind of say, like, okay, this is this is how the world works, just reflected of 1890s, you know, and that's what kind of helped them keep it keep the, keep it things simple, you know, as best they could. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question there. And I'm sure in that Shyamalan spent a whole lot of time, including the writer spent a whole lot of time trying to, um, make this vast narrative where they, you know, tell these kids what there was and that whole backstory has to be, you know, built into the film because it holds up pretty well, actually. Um, moving on here, we're going to go to the awards real quick. This film was nominated for one Oscar award and had another four wins and 23 nominations. Wow. Yeah. So in 2005, it won the ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards for one of the top box office films of the year, 2004. Um, and then also in 2005, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, the original score being by James Newton Howard. Um, next up, we in 2005, we had the Central Ohio Film Critics Association, where it had second place for Best Sound Design. 2005, it won the Evening Standard British uh, Film Awards for Best Technical Artistic Achievement, related to Roger 
Deakins, who was a cinematographer of the film. And the MTV 2005 MTV Movie and TV Awards, where it was nominated for Breakthrough Female for Bryce Dallas Howard's role. wasn't her first film, but definitely probably her first big film of that scale of the time. Um, now, of course, she's in Jurassic Park and a few other things, and we'll get to that in the cast list. Um, then in 2005, we also have the Motion Picture Sound Editor Awards, where it was nominated for Best Sound Editing in a Feature Music or Feature Film to Thomas S. Drescher. In 2005, again, for the Online Film and Television Awards, it was nominated for Best Breakthrough Performance by a Female, once again, to Bryce Dallas Howard nomination. And then, um, lastly here, I'm just going to mention the 2004 International Film Critic Music Critics Award, where it won the Best Original Score for a Horror or Thriller Film, awarded to James Newton Howard, too. This film does have an excellent score, by the way. Mm-hmm. As many other aspects actually hold up incredibly well. I think this film, uh, you know, really got a short, you know... Was given a short appraisal by the audiences at the time because I think the twist, you know, hit him so wrong. Um, but I think in hindsight, this film holds up a lot better than they originally would have thought. Um, some of the technical details of the film: this film has a runtime of 108 minutes. Sound mix was um, Dolby Stereo Surround Sound and Dolby Digital EX and SDDS. This is a color film. Aspect ratio is 1.85 by one. Um, some of the production notes of the film. The filming dates were between October 8th, 2003 and December 19th of 2003. Um, pretty good short turnaround, actually, but of course that makes sense when actually you have like a lot of live-action props and sets where you can do a short turnaround of the actual edit of the final film and don't have to worry about doing you know, post-FXX, which we have to do in so many films nowadays with CG and things like that. And um, we can have some of the other notes here. Um, I think that covers about all we need to cover for the podcast here. So I'm going to move on to the cast. And the cast, ladies and gentlemen, is what we describe as stacked ridiculous. <laughs> stars. Oh, my gosh. All this stars. Is, this is a huge, amazing cast. Virtually everyone you see on screen went on to do um, you know, incredible things before and after. And how um, good is William Hurt in this movie? Absolutely fantastic. I miss William Hurt so bad. <laughs> so sad. Right. He, he was such captivating in this. I, back in my early childhood, like between like, you know, 1998 and 2000. Three or last whatever. year, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just yesterday, when I was a baby, um, I had a VHS tape that had uh, the Mortal Kombat Armageddon film and Lost in Space on one VHS tape. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, a, 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 a perfectly legitimate copy, not a pirate copy at all. <laughs> but I used to watch that relentlessly. I'd just watch Mortal Kombat again, and then the credits would actually fade into Lost in Space. <laughs> I would watch it over and over and over again. So I, I'm so used to just hearing William Hurt's voice as, a, as an amazing, you know, you know, uh, you know, father figure almost. So William Hurt, such a great actor in this in this film and many others. Um, but anyways, moving on to the cast here, we of course have the um, the main um, star and heroine of the film is Bryce Dallas Bryce Dallas Howard's character Ivy Walker. Bryce Dallas Howard is also the daughter of the legendary director Ron Howard of uh, both Twilight Zone fame and many amazing films. Happy days, yeah. The last uh, solo film he made and a few and a bunch of other great films too. I think Sunshine was one of uh, his as well. Andy Griffith, yeah, Andy Griffith, like yeah. Uh, Ron Howard, amazing as right. And Brad Stiles Howard is making an amazing uh, film career as both a director and as a film star uh, in her own way. Um, she, of course, was also in the Jurassic World trilogy of films and presumably probably the next film, wherever they make that. Um, but Jurassic World that came out in 2015, um, Fallen Kingdom, which came out in 2018, and Dominion came out in 2022. Um, she was also in um, one of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's most recent films, um, Old, at least in 2021. Um, so that was good for her there. So they both kind of continue to have a working relationship to some degree. Next up, we have another. Once again, if I say legendary actor for each one of them, then it'd be yeah, redundant, but also makes sense. But we have Joaquin Phoenix playing the character of Lucius Hunt. 
Joaquin Phoenix, of course, um, yeah, yeah, amazing actor in his own right. Many amazing films, um, such as uh, Walk the Line in 2005, where he played Perfect Johnny Cash. Cash. Uh, just an amazing role. He just took it over. Um, yeah, of course, uh, probably the biggest role he had in the past few years, though, was um, in Joker in 2019. And uh, I believe just later this year, he's going to be in the film where he deploys uh, Napoleon Bonaparte in 2023. And I'm sure that's going to be a huge film in his own right as well. He's doing what? Napoleon movie. He's doing a film where he plays a, bi- a biopic about Napoleon. About Napoleon Bonaparte? Did I say Napoleon Bonaparte? I thought you said Napoleon Dynamite, and I was like... No, Napoleon Bonaparte, the actual name of the guy. (laughs) Not Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon Bonaparte. Maybe that's just what my brain went to. No, it's okay. I I get it. I get it. (laughs) What a weird decade. Yeah, he'd probably be good in that role, too. I can see him that off easily. He's an incredibly strong actor, and I'm really looking forward to anything he does. And I believe that that Napoleon movie, I think it's the the Ridley Scott movie coming up, too. So, like, it could be amazing, or it's going to be terrible, one or the other. Yeah, he's no between really, Scott. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Walking Phoenix, amazing his own right. Next up, we have Adrian Brody playing the character of Noah Piercer. He was excellent in this movie too. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think it's difficult for any actor to play like a mentally challenged role um, with kind of dignity or accuracy. It's a very difficult challenge, especially in his case where I feel like. Um, like in films like Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, he still played an incredibly wise person with a mental deficiency. Whereas Andrew Brody's here is a lot more difficult because he has to play a, a mentally challenged person who has no um, real um, semblance of understanding. Really, like, well, especially when he's like clapping at a funeral, you know. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's all, effectively yeah. an adult child. That's all he is in a child, and, and so it's hard to give a proper nuance to that role. But I think he does an excellent job here, and he's a great actor in his own right. Um, Adrian Brody, of course. Um, um, most recently, he was in Asteroid City, the latest, uh, the latest uh, uh, Wes Anderson film. There we go, Wes Anderson. I was going to say Anderson Cooper. <laughs> like, nope, he didn't. <laughs> uh, Wes Anderson film there. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, he was also in the huge film uh, King Kong 2005 and uh, the, War, the World War II film The um, the Pianist in 2002. So Agent Brody, of course, has an amazing career in his own right. Then, as we mentioned right there from the start, we had William Hurt playing the role of Edward Walker, the um, kind of like the main founder of the city and kind of like the... Um, Probably the main founder we watched throughout the movie. Um, but William Hurt, of course, amazing actor in his own right, once again. Um, best known for certain roles like um, uh, History of Violence in 2005. Uh, Mr. Brooks in 2007, which I think is a really underrated film and made more sense as a TV show, honestly. I think it was a great show. And uh, Lost in Space in uh, 1998 was an amazing film that I have a great appreciation for as well. And William Hurt, many other great roles, too. He was uh, playing... Um, uh, what was Thunderbolt Ross in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and now to be replaced by Harrison Ford in the latest um, films, I believe. So, uh, interesting legacy there. Yeah, so next up, we have, we have once again, legendary actress Sigourney Weaver playing the role of Alice Hunt. Never heard of her. Yeah, yeah who never, never heard of Sigourney Weaver? Just uh, some no name. Uh, it's just, you know, I can't have them all, right? Uh, of course, Sigourney Weaver, of course, legendary actress, one right playing Alice Hunt. Most famously Hunt. known for Galaxy Quest. <laughs> Um, uh, yes, most well known with Ellen Ripley yeah. <laughs> and the Alien oh, yeah, yeah. seventy nine film and yeah and uh, Aliens and eighty six and Alien three and, uh, those films and uh, also just, um, I think it might be most recently actually but twenty twenty two was in the Avatar Way of the Water the sequel to Avatar from two thousand nine and presumably she'll be in Avatar three four and five <laughs> if those films ever get made <laughs> and uh, also uh, Ghostbusters in eighty four and just many other amazing films. Scorning Weaver once again like as of most of this cast just. An amazing actor who's been in many great films before and after this film. 
Um, next up, we have Brendan Gleeson playing the role of August Nicholson. Brendan Gleeson um, is an amazing Irish actor in many respects and does a lot of amazing roles um, outside of the um, yeah, Irish film world as well. But a uh, great actor is on right that I really like. Every time I see him in a movie, I know like oh, this movie's gonna be good. <laughs> When I see Brendan Gleeson, one of my personal favorites. Uh, he was in Calvary in 2014, in Bruges in 2008, and the um, the Banshees of in- I'm going to mispronounce this Inishurin, I believe Inishurin in 2022, uh, which I heard amazing things about, but I have not gotten around to watching personally yet. So I got to get around to that movie sometime because it looked look it looked and sounded really really good. Because um, from from what I saw from other reviews. Um, next up we have Cherry Jones playing Mrs. Clack. Cherry Jones was also another M. Night Shyamalan film, Signs, in 2002. She was also in the film The Perfect Storm in 2000. And she was in Ocean 12, Ocean's 12 in 2004. Uh, then next up here, we're going to go to John Christopher Jones, playing the role of Robert Percy. John Christopher Jones, also in the film Awakenings in 1990. And Desperate Hours, also in 1990. Then next up here, we have Frank Collison playing the role of Victor. Frank Collison, unbeknownst to me, because I never had seen the show, was in Dr. Quinn's Medicine Woman between 1993 and 1998. Yeah, he played Jim Horace. I had, a, I had to tell you, he played yeah, Horace yeah, in yeah, Dr. Yeah. Quinn. So, I, I, I've now looking into it, it looks like nothing but good things should be said about the show. Um, he also continued to work with M. Night again because he also appeared in the film The Happening in 2008, one of um, M. Night Shyamalan's infamous bombs, unfortunately. Um, and he also had an appearance in the um, Twin Peaks revival in uh, 2017. I don't know if he's a main character there or not. I have not watched the Twin Peaks show. And then we have Jane Atkinson, uh, Atkinson playing the role of Tabitha Walker. Jane Atkinson was also in the film Free Willy in 1993. <laughs> Next up, we have Judy Greer playing the character of Kitty Walker. Judy Greer was also in the film's Going on 30 in 2004, and she was in the latest Halloween trilogy movies from 2018 to 2021. Or was she in the last one, Halloween Ends? I don't know if she was or not. Uh, it, it's fine. She was at least in two of them, I know that. Um, and she's also um, uh, well known for her role as Cheryl on the show Archer from 2009 to 2023. They're having their final season this year after 14 years. Incredible hmm. work for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheryl Tunt, I believe. <laughs> and finally, and then next up we have. Fran Kranz playing the role of Christoph Crane. Fran Kranz can use work with M. Night Shyamalan again because he appeared in the film. Oh, nope, never mind. I got that wrong. I, I was gonna... I, uh, A Knock at the Cabin. I was going to say Knock at the Cabin. Actually, it's The Cabin in the Woods in 2011. Yeah, the uh, the, the, the Joss Whedon horror film. <laughs> so next up, we have Michael Pitt playing the role of Fenton Coyne. Michael Pitt was also in the film The Dreamers in 2003 and uh, a show of Steve Buscemi, Boardwalk Empire, between 2010 and 2014. And we also have the film Ghost in the Shell in 2017, the uh, the Scarlett Johansson uh, anime um, film. Um, and, of course, based off the original animated films and the manga. Then, finally, um, for the cast list here, there's another people in the cast. I'm going to have to uh, cut it short a little bit here. We have Jesse Eisenberg playing the role of Jameson. Jesse Eisenberg was also, of course, easily most well-known for the films like Social Network in 2010, Zombieland in 2009, and uh, the Art of Self-Defense in 2019. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, of course, doing amazing film work um, on his own work um, right now for probably hit his big, you know, this is actually probably one of his bigger breaks early on in his career, but later on he had much bigger roles and still getting to do great work today. So good for him on that. But that's going to conclude the cast list of The Village. Jimbo, let's move on to some cool trivia stuff. All right, all right, all right. All right. So actually, uh, Kirsten Dunst was replaced by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard after dropping out to star in Elizabethtown. Dunst and Howard later appeared together in Spider-Man 3. Oh, wow. 
That's right. And Bryce Howard also had like a small, I think a little smaller role in Spider-Man One. I remember correctly too. Yeah, yeah. Was she? Uh, Gwen? She was Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man Three. She was. I don't know if she's still the same role in Spider-Man One technically, but I know in Spider-Man Three she had the um, she recreated that 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 upside down kiss yeah. that made uh, uh, Kristen Dunst jealous. <laughs> uh, the inspiration for the story comes from two unlikely sources: Wuthering Heights for the period drama and King Kong for the community living in fear of predatory creatures. Huh. Director M. Night Shyamalan put the entire cast through a 19th century boot camp in order for them to get a good feel for the time period. It took the crew 11 weeks to build the set for the village. There were nearly 300 people in the scenic and construction department. Oh, wow. So they really Beautiful went all sets. out. Beautiful sets. Filmography was awesome. Cinematography, all that was awesome. Wow. And how, how apparently, like, how, like, real it was in that case, too, of building a set that impressive. Like, I remember, like, um, well, most recently I saw the film Oppenheimer, and they created the um, the Roswell in New Mexico down. Um, but they did that in, like, record time because they actually, I believe Christopher Nolan actually cut out a significant portion of the budget they originally had reserved for extra shooting days, and they put that all to production design specifically to recreate that town in Roswell, New Mexico. Huh. Yeah, so pretty incredible work there. And this is um, this also was like yeah you know, one of the earlier works that kind of demonstrates that same kind of uh, plus where it's like they did amazing set design here. So that's really great, really impressive. Uh, Sigourney Weaver suffered nightmares for two weeks after reading the script. Nightmares for two weeks after reading the script. That's a weird. Yeah, especially after you've been in Aliens and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's pretty cool. Huh. The life is a lie, kind of like nightmare, I guess. Uh, M. Night initially had a different concept for those who we do not speak of creatures. They were originally conceived to be monsters similar to the rock drawings featured in the movie trailers, similar to lions walking on their hind feet, complete with shaggy manes. When the creatures were built to full scale and brought on set, uh, M. Night felt that the design was completely unbelievable. The creatures were quickly redesigned, and most notably with the addition of the red cloaks. So instead of Lions, we have giant porcupines. <laughs> giant porcupines, yeah. Well, I, I'll give credit to like the um, the current monster design. It feels believable. Those founders could make those monster suits versus like what they kind of described that whole rock leopard design sounds like yeah. kind of impossible thing to actually kind of exist in the world. Um, and it would stick out like a sore thumb in this film probably. So, so Kyle, here's a couple of people that were considered to play the role of Ivy. Mm-hmm. Jessica Bill. Jessica Bill. She have done it. Ooh, Jessica Bill. Ah. Uh, would have loved to see her in the role. She's a great actress, but I don't know if she would have done better than Bryce And Dallas. Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Oh, I haven't seen a Kate Hudson film in forever, but she, she probably could have done it. You know. All right, here's some for Noah. Uh, for Aaron Noah. Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> Seems kind of cruel. Um, yeah, probably could have done it. Uh, Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane. I don't remember that name. The Punisher. Remember The Punisher? Oh, that guy. Ooh. He's too big for it. If he was Punisher size and like trying to be a, a middle challenger, like oh gosh, he's going to knock down a building by accident. <laughs> no, no, uh, our uh, and the other one was uh, Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen. Oh boy, Noah's not the mentally challenged one. Noah's Joaquin Phoenix's role, right? No, no, Lucius Hunt is Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, that's role. right. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the um, other one was Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen. Um. Boy, I, I feel like that would have been hard for him. Uh, it's so tough, uh, especially when, you know, after but the then Star again, Wars he, But then again, he, that Joker he did, or not Joker, um, what was that other role he did? Wrong. No, <laughs> the... Um, it's not Mark Hamill. <laughs> what's the... No. Um, Jumper? I remember Jumper. That was the only thing he did besides Star Wars for the longest time. You're trying to think of anything else Hayden Christian had done before then? 
Yeah, I can't think I of the name up, of it. I can look at IMDb real quick. Maybe I'm just yeah. misplaced. We'll move on from that. Yeah, I need to skip that all the yeah, yeah, you're fine. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Judy Gere, who play sister Ivy and Kitty in this film, will later play sisters again in Jurassic World. Hmm. Uh, this is the second collaboration between Joaquin Phoenix, Cherry Jones, and M. Knight after previously working together on Signs. Yeah. This film is included on the film critic Roger Ebert's most hated list. Most hated. I can't. Nah, I disagree. Wow, he's bitter about that film. That's he's bitter about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the director cameo. Did you catch it, Kyle? Uh, M. Night hey, is the guard at the desk in the guard check where, or when Kevin goes for medical supplies and equipment, you can see his face in the reflection of the glass medicine cabinet when Kevin opens the door. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the probably the weakest scene of the film where it's just him like. Like, oh, I don't want to show my face. They'll just show the reflection of my face so the real fans see what I'm doing. And, like, in the real, like, he's in the background explaining how the concept works because he was afraid he couldn't sell that in the film, how the concept works. <laughs> like, someone's going to go on the internet and complain about why no one at the village saw a plane. So I better explain this in the film scene so I get ahead of it. And it's like, dude, just let this film stand on its own. <laughs> uh, the intricate yeah. violin, so- violin solos in James Newton Howard's score were performed by acclaimed violin prodigy Hilary Hahn, and she knocks it out of the park with this uh, violin solos. A couple of spoilers. According to Steve Bodecker, the MPAA gave the film an R rating due to a single sound effect, which was later removed. It was the sound of the knife stabbing Lucius. Bodecker has stated that the scene worked even better without it, and I thought that was a really I cool aspect agree. of the movie. Yeah, I completely agree. The silence of it and just the deafening, like, oh gosh, he just yeah. did that. Um, yeah. it, it creates the shock value of yeah, that moment for sure. Great scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one, production almost had to shut down because it started snowing with 14 inches of accumulation. But during the night, it rained and all the snow melted. Soon after, they dug the hole that Noah falls into, which is why it looks so muddy. Oh, wow. Uh, the newspaper read by the guard at desk uh, was a, the cameo by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, towards the end, is dated Friday, July 30th, 2004, which is the day the movie came out. Oh, wow. So they wanted to go very much like, like it's right now this right. is happening, and that's really cool. Um, this film uh, has a number of similarities to a young adult book called Running Out of Time. The book is about a village where the people who live in it think they're living in the 1800s when actually it's set in the present day. The heroine of the book also goes searching for medical supplies, and the village elders take steps to make sure their children never learn the truth of their world. Author Margaret Peterson Haddix uh, threatened to sue for plagiarism, but M. Knight wrote off the similarities, at, uh, uh, similarities as... Um, Coincidence? Um, I don't know what I wrote here. Ah. I can't read it. But basically, a meaningless, I think, or worthless, meritless, I think. Meritless. Yeah. Um, I would disagree. <laughs> well, because I guess there were no monsters in the other book. Yeah. So that's why they got away with it. And it's a Disney film, so I'm sure there are lawyers. There could have been an out-of-court thing that no one ever talked about kind of stuff. But so we like, looked it up, and I couldn't find anything. Yeah, yeah. So, but still, you know, I I, I think I would probably disagree with him that Sean on there, where I think, like, like there's probably something. I, of course, I've never read that book. It very well could be very different. But going off that little concept explanation, it's like, the inclusion of monsters doesn't make it different enough, in my opinion, to be like, you know, it probably was grounds for uh, a civil suit in those kind of situations. Yeah, my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Give me your thoughts, feelings, score. 
Um, ratings. I think this film is better when you actually know the twist and kind of can see all the the clockwork running um, and kind of like seeing like what everyone's doing to uh, you know you know hide the truth of the matter, especially when during the founder scenes. I think it actually works to films that it serves the film well when you know the truth. And I think that kind of explains how bitter people were when they first saw the film and how mad they were because they felt like the twist was like dumb. But if you go into it knowing what's going on. I think it's all the richer for it because then you understand kind of the character's motivations a lot more clearly. Um, where, like, you know, if you're just lost in the film, I think it would have been devaluing. Like, you're thinking, like, oh, this is a horror film. And, like, it's not that at all, really. It's more like a film of suspense and very, you know, in-depth character focus of those characters. So I think it actually is very rich in that aspect. So um, I think, like, you know, if you know going in what to expect in that film, I think it's overall a strong film. I think I would go as far as saying, like, this is probably a strong 7 out of 10, maybe in, like, a low 8, kind of around that area, like 7.5, if you will. <laughs> and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I think the cast is doing stellar work there. I think the production design and cinematography has done stellar work. The, you know, the music is incredible. Um, everything going on there is just going, you know, at, at maximum kind of qualitative levels, and the script itself is is solid enough even if it doesn't have you know all that much to say on it and is a little bit uh, um, I would say insecure in its premise especially during that whole scene where you know M. Night Shyamalan basically explains how he thinks that the village could work <laughs> to the audience so like you know why it could be legitimate I think it's kind of an insecure move on his part there and also just an excuse to put his face in the movie again when he's not needed in that scene um, so it looks like there's, there's things working against it but overall I think it's a pretty it's a solid film verging on great actually so 7 out of 10 for me and I would recommend anyone watch it knowing what it is going in because you have expectations really set up for you um so overall i think it's a good film jimbo how do you feel about it i you know it's been almost 20 years since i watched this maybe 15 um and i'd forgotten a lot about it i remember the twist and i remember certain things about it mm-hmm. but i sat down last night and i enjoyed watching this movie it's beautifully done the yeah. colors cinematography the uh, the the the, uh, the outfits, the timepieces, the time period, uh, everything about it, it just flows beautifully. Um, the monsters are a little goofy um, because even last night when I was watching, I forgot about uh, Noah taking that costume he found under the floorboard. Yeah, and going out there, so I was like, man, maybe this is where her dad got all those. You know, lessons stories, of, stories, stories from, about people yeah. in the woods there because I thought there here. really was something out here. Yeah, you know, and then when you come to find out that it's actually him that falls in the pen, she 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 her, her legend lives on now because she killed one. No. That's one of the things they say when she comes back to town at the end is, oh, she killed one of the monsters. So now I think that's going to bolster not only their uh, tradition of lying to the people, but it also uh, I think it's going to boost their confidence that hey, we can take these things on because a blind girl killed one. We shouldn't be afraid to go out there. If they come, we should be able to defend ourselves, too, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, so, that's yeah, on shaky foundations, that whole premise. Yeah. Right. So, I enjoyed this movie. Um, one thing I will say is I think um, this could have been a Twilight Zone episode. I think you could have cut it down and it could have still worked as a, a Twilight, maybe a maybe not a 27-minute Twilight Zone, but definitely in like season four, the hour episodes. And I would have liked to see this shot in black and white. I Ooh. think that would have been pretty cool. I think you're right on the money there for sure. Yeah, and I would have loved the idea of this premise actually going on in a TV TV show. I personally do. Like even outside the Twilight Zone, like I could see like an episodic format where it is about like 
you know, there has to be a point where insurance season where everyone knows, like, this isn't real, but this is our way of life now. How do we deal with that? Right, and you could explore the back, the back story of all the people yeah. that were the counselors and what their yeah. personal tragedies went through, why they wanted to yeah. do this. Um, because the Noah's parents are there. They are the one, uh, they're, they're in the room, the eight of them yeah. are in that room, and they're breaking down crying. And they're like, look, you know, your son's a hero. We're going to give him a pro- We'll go find him. We'll give him a proper burial. And we'll blame it on the monsters we'll to secure our story. Right. Exactly. You know, so yeah. it's awesome storytelling. Um, to me, the ending seemed a little rushed. I would have come up with a different ending because she just came back to his bedside and she says, like, I'm here, Lucius, or whatever she says at the very yeah. end. I kind of, kind There's of a lack me, of closure there because right. you don't even know if Lucius is going to survive right. after that. And scene. I was you like, really I, w- I was hoping there was uh, a, like a... Like maybe like a ten years in the future where maybe they're married and they have kids and the horns go off and you you know they start talking about the monsters again or something. I think that would have been a better closure. Yeah. To me personally, I give this movie an eight, maybe an eight five, just for the simple fact that um, the more you watch it, the more interesting it is, and the more you pick up on stuff. He does stuff in his movies that if you don't watch it closely the first time. You're not going to pick up on a lot of the stuff. It's yeah. like even the sixth sense when we went back and when I went back and watched it, and you realize, oh, the the letter or uh, the color red is always there when something paranormal is going on. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that this movie has a lot of that going on for it. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't like this movie. I mean, even on IMDb, it's like a six six point six out that, of ten. That initial, like you know, like that initial take would like you know supplanted it as a bad take and it's taken a long time to go back up where we were like reappraising it as like this is actually a, a pretty solid film overall and you yeah. know after watching the, uh, all of his other movies this definitely ranks it a lot higher than a lot of those other ones that yeah, yeah, out, yeah. So. but I think this movie has probably the biggest thing where it's like you know like because like so many like The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable they are still good movies before you know the twist and this film I think is only good after using the twist where like those other films have that distinction and, to make you know and, and I feel like this movie is so much better when you know the twist and I think after The Sixth Sense this might be my favorite one movie of his um, as how much I like it um, mm-hmm. we got to sign sometimes Sixth Sense yeah right? if, if we are your M. Night Sixth, Sixth, that was our sixth episode oh, ever right. Kyle well you and Terrence yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah I, so I don't I don't necessarily agree with all the hate that this movie gets um, if I understand want, it though. Yeah, I mean, I understand it to a degree, but I mean, going back and just seeing the All Star character, William Hurt's character is—you come to find out that what he's a, a professor or teacher or something. Mm-hmm. And so, because uh, he tells him, he's like, you know, I have professor an I- of history. Yeah, that's he says, why he I have established a world of eighteen, you know, eighteen nineties. Right. Yeah, and, I, and and Adrian Brody's character, that dude knocked it out of the park with this too, especially when he stabs Lucius, because uh, he's like, uh, Lucius is going over, saying, "Hey, I'm going to marry Ivy." You know, I know you guys have been close because her uh, Lucius or not Lucius Noah and Ivy have had she's blind and he and he's mentally challenged. So they've kind of had this companionship the whole time. But when they finally, uh, <laughs> I gotta say this too, mm. when Ivy's sister says, "I love this guy, oh gosh. Dad, I love him, and Hilarious. I want to marry him. I'm gonna marry him." And then the dad's like, "Well, does he know this?" He's like, "No, no, I have no idea. No, but I will tell him today." And she goes to Lucius, and he's like, "And they're." doing the blacksmith and she's like I love you I want to marry you I think we should shout it from the mountains we're happy we're happy and if you love me too then we should go ahead and get married and tell everybody and next thing you see she's crying like a screaming crying and it's it's so so awesome and Uh, it just stares at her are you kidding me right now You are so ridiculous. So there, I, I laughed a couple of times. That movie, or that part of this movie, I was rolling because it was hilarious. Because it's so totally backwards of anything that we do today. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I don't understand the data. And I do de- definitely recommend this. Not watching it once, but watching it twice. 
with a different mindset once you know the um, the, the 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 twist, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle, I think this episode's coming to a close. You can follow us on the social media, the Tragedy Cinema Podcast. Be sure to get your live tickets to come see uh, Baldless Kyle. Baldless Kyle, Uncle Baldless Fisher Kyle. Kyle. Don't you almost said Baldless Kyle? And I, got, I said I said you know, bald, not Baldless, Baldless, <laughs> Baldless Kyle. But, but, that, no, but if I, but if I say Baldless if Kyle, I, that means you have, have hair. hair. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, come yeah. see Kyle beyond the roll-on deodorant stick. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And the manic crazy scientist, you know, <laughs> yeah. Doc Brown and Doc uh, Brown. Marty McFly. Marty so Clown, yeah, uh, I can't wait to see everybody's costumes. I think it's going to be a fun time and enjoyable evening just to get out and have some fun time with our fans. So. With that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.